0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a
1: verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians, and in the previous message I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, and at the end of the previous message I was emphasizing the significance of the giving of of the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, this is Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, it says, In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And I was speaking about the giving of the Holy Spirit and that what we receive through the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us is all that we really need for life and godliness while we are here on this earth right now. When our physical bodies pass away and we enter into the kingdom of heaven, then there will be more concerning the inheritance that we will receive once we are there. But while we are here, we have all that we need, which is the Holy Spirit of God himself, which is our God himself dwelling within us. We have a person who is with us and he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And so we have the Holy Spirit of God within us. And this is described as an inheritance that we have received, going back to verse 11, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. And of course, we can speak about that from the point of view of what we will receive in heaven. But more importantly, what we receive right now, which is the Spirit of God who dwells within us right now. And this is in accordance with the gospel. The gospel has to do with the forgiveness of sins, so that he can restore the life of God that was lost in Adam, making us spiritually alive. And through this, we are born again by the Spirit. We are made into a child of God. And being a child of God, we then qualify for, we are able to be the recipients of the inheritance that our God has given to us As a result of his death. And this is what is expressed in verse 11 concerning the counsel of his will. And so going back up to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What is the will of God? The will of God is the description of an inheritance that we receive as a result of his death. This is found in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. If you'd like a reference for that, it does not always have to refer to the desire of God in the sense of what does he want to see happen and not happen. The will of God in this context has to do with the description of the new covenant, and through believing the gospel, through being saved by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and being made into a child of God, who can be the recipient of an inheritance, this is the gospel that is presented to both the Jew and the Gentile, and that's what verses 12 and 13 are about, they are about the unification of the Jew and the Gentile. And this was accomplished through the taking away of the barrier between the two, which was the law. The law that God gave to the children of Israel through Moses created a barrier between the Israelite and the non-Israelite, or at this time in history was recognized as between the Jew and the non-Jew, between the Jew and the Gentile. So then looking at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory, in Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So the Jew trusted, the Gentile trusted. These were people who made a choice. They made a decision to respond to the truth that was revealed to them. It was a decision. It was a choice. It was an exercise of the will of each individual person predestination, referred to in verse 11, has to do with the Jew and the Gentile being predestined to become one in Christ through each becoming a new creation, a child of God. That is what predestination is, as it is referred to here in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I understand that the predominant view in the Christian world has been that predestination has to do with the idea that God just simply decides who is going to be saved and who is not going to be saved on an individual basis. And I've explained in previous programs that this goes back to pagan Greek philosophy. This is what pagan Greek philosophy is about. It is about the sovereignty of God to the extent where no one will be in his presence or have any kind of interaction with him outside of his decision to save, in that abstract way, save a person or not. That it is an individual salvation instead of a collective salvation in the sense of there are two groups who are going to be able to come together and be one. When the individuals of these groups decide to respond to the truth that is revealed to them, which is the gospel. So this is how it works. God defined a covenant. He defined the new covenant. And he said, this is the covenant. These are the terms through which he decided he would be willing to have a relationship with a person. And it is going to go into effect because he is going to remember people's sins no more. He will bring an end to the subject of sin. The sin issue will be completely resolved to the extent that there will be no further resolution that will be required when it comes to the sins of humanity. If anyone, whether they are a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter, if anyone will acknowledge their condition of sinfulness to the extent where they realize that they have no hope of ever having any place with God whatsoever outside of his grace and mercy. When a person will see that reality, then they can be the recipients of the forgiveness that has already been given to them, but for the purpose of receiving the Spirit of God to dwell within them to make them spiritually alive. And anyone can do this, whether they are a Jew or a Gentile. God predetermined that this new creation could take place. He predetermined this upon creation when he knew that there would eventually be a fall of humanity. And so he decided that he would define a new covenant so that people could be saved. And he brought that into effect at an appointed time that he decided that he would present that to humanity. And then people can decide for themselves on an individual basis if they want to respond to that or not. So the predetermination or the predestination has to do with the two groups who got separated becoming a new person, a child of God, who can be the recipient of the inheritance, which is an abstract way of understanding the giving of the Spirit of God himself. He really is. All that we need. We just need Him as a person and a way of understanding Him giving Himself to us is to understand that in the context of an inheritance that went into effect after He died. And so that's what verses 11 through 14 are fundamentally about. That's the summary of these verses. I spoke about the subject of the giving of the Holy Spirit a little bit more in the previous program, but I wanted to revisit these verses from this point of view, from the point of view of the gospel, so that you can hopefully have a better understanding of the connection between inheritance, predestination, the gospel, salvation, the giving of the Holy Spirit. But then what happens next? What happens next is verse 15, where he speaks about the love that they had for the saints. All right. So what we have is we have Paul recognizing that these people who are saved are expressing love towards other people. Now, this, of course, does not have to be restricted to the saints. It can be to anyone. But he is referring to the love that they have For one another, that he is hearing of it, that there is some uniqueness to it. So I'd like to spend some time talking about the expression of love as it relates to the inheritance, as it relates to the gospel, and of course, the context of predestination. To begin with, I'm going to spend some time talking about dysfunctional love or ways that people... Consider love from a dysfunctional point of view. I'm going to start with what I will call pagan love. Pagan love from the perspective of pagan Greek philosophy. From the perspective of pagan Greek philosophy, the predestination or the predetermination or the destiny of paganism asserts the belief that God creates some people for the purpose of being loved and other people for the purpose of being hated. This is a pagan Greek philosophical belief that God decides to create individuals, some of which he created to be loved and others that he created to be hated. And this is a belief that has crept into the church, of course. It is often spoken of from the perspective of Romans chapter 9, and I, of course, have done a verse-by-verse study through the Book of Romans, and so I'd like to encourage you to listen to that study to include, of course, what I had to say about Romans chapter 9 from a verse-by-verse point of view. And in those programs, I spoke about this topic at length, and so I'm not going to try to duplicate that in these programs here, because, of course, it's just simply not directly related to what Paul is referring to when he is speaking to the Ephesians. But indirectly, this is something that people will usually think of when it comes to the idea of loving others in the sense that paganistic love has to do with choosing who you are going to love and who you are not going to love just by their existence. And this is something that is appealing to a lot of people, that they want to be loved just because they exist, you know. And of course, you exist also, but God perhaps created you in a way that your existence is something that he just hates. But them, on the other hand, he created them so that their existence would be such that they would be loved. And this is appealing to a lot of people because it has nothing to do with them in the sense that there is no relational aspect to this love whatsoever. It has nothing to do With a relationship between two different individuals, it has nothing to do with you as a person in terms of your character, your uniqueness, your being. No, none of that applies. It only has to do with the fact that God created you for the purpose of being loved, and you're going to enjoy that in a profound way, especially when you can look at all those other people who you just know were created to be hated by God. But then there are some others who will say that everyone was created to be loved by God regardless of who they are as a person. And when people believe in that, then their view of love is so convoluted and, of course, so thin that it really has no meaning whatsoever outside of their delusionary abstractions, which really mean nothing as far as I can tell. Because the real love of God that I know is a relational love. A decision according to the character of each person involved in this relationship, the two people, you and your God. This is different from paganistic love, which has nothing to do with your character, with your being, with who you are as a person. And when I'm referring to character, I'm referring to a decision that people make. When people make a decision to value one thing over something else. When people make a decision to believe some things and reject other things. For example, when it comes to the truth, the truth is something that people often have a difficult time embracing for various reasons. But when you make a decision to believe the truth that God has revealed, That is different from others who make a decision to reject the truth. They want to live in the lie. They want to live in some alternate reality that they create out of their own minds in order to manipulate, deceive, and abuse other people, just to give you an example. When a person decides that the truth is going to be more valuable to them than dishonesty, than manipulation, and other ways that people tend to relate to one another, when this becomes a decision, a choice of a person, then this is the kind of person who God obviously wants to have in his life. Someone who wants to have a relationship with someone else that is not based on dishonesty or manipulation, but is based on something real. And that's the point, is that God wants to have real genuine relationships with others. The paganistic point of view does not allow for that because of all the dependency that is placed on God and Him alone, and you are nothing, nothing in terms of your character, your being, your values, your choice, your decision, your free will. You cannot have a relationship with someone who cannot exercise their own choices, their own values, and their own free will. There is no relationship with someone like that. So the paganistic view of love is one that totally excludes the idea of two persons having free will with one another, which creates a definition of love that, from what I can tell, has nothing to do with how God defines love and presents it in the scriptures that we have. Now, another form of love that I would like to define would be religious love. Religious love I will define as conditional love. Each person has their own free will. Each person can decide what they value and what they don't. And the way that they will relate to others will be conditional based on what they do and what they don't do and this will eventually have to be defined as a system of law whether it is explicit in the sense that it's well written down like we have with the law of moses or whether it is implicit based on just you know what people will decide what's more important to them about the rules about how people are to behave and not to behave this is considered to be religious love which is conditional which means that as long as you repent and obey, well, then you're lovable. But if you do not repent and obey, well, then you're not lovable at all. You know, with the paganistic love, you didn't have a choice in the matter. You were either created to be loved or you weren't, and you just have to take whatever you get. But with religious love, you have an opportunity to earn or to sustain The love that someone is supposed to now give you, of course, because you have repented and obeyed adequately. But the way that God defined the law and defined this kind of relationship between himself and other people, especially through the ministry of the Lord Jesus, it was always conditional and it was always described to the extent that no one would ever be loved by their God because no one would ever repent and obey enough to earn the love of God. So in the paganistic point of view, you are loved just by your self-existence. In the religious point of view, you are loved because you succeed in repenting and obeying to that person's satisfaction. Now, what's really important to recognize from both of these different kinds of love, is that the way a person is loved is the way that they will love other people. So from the paganistic point of view, those who believe in predestination and hold on to that, you will find that there is a bias that these people have, depending, of course, on how committed they are to this predestination kind of belief if they are extraordinarily or exceptionally committed to this belief in predestination, the paganistic point of view as I have described it, if they are committed to that, then of course they will love those who they believe God has decided are lovable. So if they have people in their life, and those people seem to be children of God, well, then they will love them because they exist, not because of who they are or because of their character or because of what they value as a person or because they don't abuse and disrespect other people, things like that. They will love those people because they exist, and of course, they want to be sure that they love those who have been chosen by God, and they have to hate those who obviously, by their behavior, of course, are not loved by God. And so this is the kind of love that they will tend to present and relate to other people, which of course is not real. And you'll notice this when you are the object of this kind of love from these people. It won't take very long before you start to think, you know, this love is extremely empty. They love me because I exist, but not because of who I am. They hate me because I exist, but not because of who I am. These are the kinds of things that will definitely come to mind when you have relationships with these kinds of people. When it comes to the religious kind of love, they will love others with the love that they have received from God, just as the pagans will. But the love that they will express towards others will, of course, be the conditional love that they believe they are the recipients of from their God. And so they will love you as long as you choose, as long as you decide, as long as you exercise your free will To do that which is right and don't do that which is wrong. Now, if you do things that are wrong and, you know, they don't really care about those things, well, then they'll still love you very well. But if you do those things that they just don't like at all themselves, well, they're going to find that a little bit more difficult. But either way, they are going to love you conditionally based on to what degree you repent and obey. That is how they will love others. But, of course, these others are always going to fail. They are always going to sin. There will always be something that will get in the way. And so to what degree will they love anyone? They may have a really hard time Loving anyone. And you can look at these people quite often in these kinds of religious environments and you can spot them easily. There are people who have this despised look on their face like the world just exists in a way that they just despise entirely and they have no love for anyone whatsoever. I'm giving you an exaggerated example. You'll find people like that. If you look long enough, you'll find lots of people who are consumed with this religious love that they relate to because this is how they think God relates to them, so they will relate to others in a similar way. People will love with the love that they believe God gives to them. Again, this is important. People will love others with the love that they believe that God gives to them. And so if their belief is distorted, so also their expression of love will be distorted. And I will continue with this in the next program.
0: You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.